Thorn in Your Side is a podcast recorded on the various lands of First Nations peoples, land that always was and always will be Aboriginal land. While there's air that is breathed and water that nourishes and provides, ownership of this land remains unresolved. Respects are paid to elders past and present in the ongoing quest for self-determination and reclamation of land. Hi everyone, welcome to Thorn in Your Side. My name is M. I am intending for this to be the last episode of the year because I've only got that much energy left to do one more this year. But who better to bring in to do a stop type thing to see how the year went, what we did and where things could go and how it all means in the, in the podcasting internets. Uh, anyway, I've got I've got uh, I've got John again, a familiar voice to us in the thorn in your side land. Hi, John. Hi, Em. I'm I'm here to bring that low energy end of the year can't it just end vibe. <laughs> Will it ever fucking end? I think we just come up with our um uh, title for the the, the episode. So I was just thinking about maybe just uh, kicking things off by by being in a, a bit of a reflective mood, John. But first, um, fun fact, my mate Jason, when we did our US specific episode, uh, last episode, it actually was of use to him because um, he was doing like US beer trivia or whatever they call it over there probably some German name, and he um, he basically was able to kind of nail uh, his trivia because there was a clutch answer that required him to answer T20. Oh, wow. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So this podcast does have uh, community validity and accessibility and usage. One one recognised data point that we can go, there we go. It, it, it's, it's served a, a positive purpose for people outside the circle. We, we have a reach, John. We have a reach. So the year that was, John, I think for me, I'm going to um, be a bit indulgent and, and talk a little bit about stuff on my end. Uh, normally, I kind of save this stuff for lone wolf type scenarios, but I've kind of um, brought in John as the silent confessor. Well, not so silent because we kind of made an agreement at the, the start of this episode where it's going to be like three fifths monologue and two fifths John chipping in going, mm-hmm. that's right. And you really think so? <laughs> I was going to say, we could have just pre-recorded those parts and just peppered them in, but anyway. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so just having a, a think about my year, John, it was it was quite challenging for me personally. Um, I think I've alluded to it in episodes this year where um, I've kind of had a neurodiverse diagnosis and uh, I knew it before, but I guess it was more made more concrete this time this year that... I have also a lived experience and um, hopefully that will kind of answer a few questions for me and moving forward, try to allow me to, to process things a bit better in terms of um, what my next moves are and where I, I might go on my, my journey. So it's a bit of a mouthful what I've actually been diagnosed with, but I low-key refer to it as two-thirds autistic. 
don't think why any clinician would agree with that, but that's what's comfortable with me. And amongst other things, CPTSD. With complex PTSD, this is a person who over years has experienced several traumatic incidences where they feared for their own safety or the safety of someone they loved. And so as opposed to one discrete event, this is a series of events over, you know, years that gradually accumulate to the point where the individual will present with symptoms of PTSD. So next year, it's that me getting my head around those things and it's going to be my priority. So I've had a bit of a think about what my working situation will look like. Whereas in the past, that was basically trying to shape my life around work. I think it'll be around the other way this time. So that's my take on things. And I think as well as there is that sense of just kind of getting through something that's been like a three-year project that was kind of out of my control, that being a global pandemic. So that's what's going on in my head, just the, a shitload of reflection and um, where to from here's and putting it into a podcast and what do you reckon john Mm -hmm, that's right yeah 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 i was gonna ask when you say getting your head around it what what does that mean to you so one example of that is um have you heard of the term masking i'm not sure if i have so it's something that that's um a a well-known term within the autistic community it's where because what happens when you're um, when you may or may not have or aware that you're on the autism spectrum is that there's an amount of energy that needs to be expended in trying to conform, mm-hmm. and that's often on a behavioural sense where you're trying to, and it's not it's not an innate thing. Like I think with a lot of us, it's often just based upon imitation. Yeah. So if you can see what a neurotypical person will do, it's not so much a, a natural inflection of, of their behavior. It's more like you're just aping it. Yep. Now, over time, I found myself doing that. That was basically decades of my life, right? And I found that that was exhausting. So, so when you're aping it, you're not making it part of your natural behavior or whatever. You're, you're, it, it takes a lot of energy. It, it doesn't become socialized to you. You have to like almost consciously do it all the time. Yeah, and it was just manifesting in different ways, like the exhaustion. So mm-hmm. it was often anxiety, depression, burnout. There was never any logical explanation for it and that like there was just a few years of coming along and then suddenly bleh, and I just didn't know what bleh was. But this year I've, I've kind of got my head around what bleh is. And a lot of that's to do with um, with the masking thing. Like I'm not so much doing the masking now and like people I, I feel confident and safe hanging around with that doesn't seem to be too much of an issue for them. It's looming as a challenge within the workplace for a variety of reasons. So that's going to be a challenge for me next year to try to work out, well, there's an amount of things to process, but also what is going to be in my life to allow me to process that and not have me go bleh again. Because I'm in many ways trying to also navigate this year in, in, in making sense of things. Uh, there's been a bit of bleh again. Is there a point you want to get to? Is there... I know this can be hard, right, because you're talking about things that you might be dealing with your whole life and it's about actually learning how to deal with them your whole life. But is there a point you want to get to 
and I'm just thinking about, you know, how you're talking about work and life and now having life sort of be the dominant part and, and work moving around that rather than trying to force yourself to conform to make work the centre. And I guess it's hard, like I sort of want to ask you, so what's the outcome going to be? But I think that's a really unfair question. I can't really predict it because if I could predict it, then um, I think things would have been a lot easier. It's just there's an outcome here that's out of my control. Yeah. So you might not even be thinking of the outcome. It's actually about, okay, the immediate dealing with it sort of thing. Yeah, and I mean, like on the work front, that could mean like changing jobs or doing a year's worth of Uber. I think what I'm I'm trying to get my head around and accepting is that I don't have to make the choices right now. It's just more like, well, those moments can come when they arrive. I think for me, at the moment, there's an amount of just really trying to bed down in my head all the things that I've kind of learned this year. And I think that will kind of manifest in future podcast episodes as well, because I think it's going to start to bleed into my politics. And I think it's already going to do so because I've just spent like the last few months doing dialectic behavior therapy. So it kind of helps me get a bit more to terms with the neurodiversity stuff and probably to a slightly lesser extent, the trauma management of post-trauma. But yeah, it's the dialectic stuff that's really caught my attention because I see a lot of parallels between that and practicing good politics in the sense that A and then influence B and then synthesis C and then an ongoing loop of that and not really pressuring oneself into seeing a linearity of things, just more like it's a more of an incidental process. But you still feel like you, you, you're moving somewhere. Does that make sense? I think so. So I see, like I see that paralleling or crossing over a variety of things. Um, so the politics, the personal, the podcasting, the professional life. I think I'll try to explore that in future episodes rather than just like try to impose some sort of framework or some sort of theory. And it's like, you know, that there's that whole religiosity about things in that if there's a grand explanation, then everything must prevail from that explanation. I think I'm trying to move away from that because that's always been a source of tension anyway. Because whenever there's a grand explanation put in front of me, I mean, my impulses always challenge it and think, is that true? Whereas we both kind of had our moments on this for decades, John, that there's often like elements of, of lefty types that will kind of die on a hill for certain beliefs and theories. Yeah. Grand narrative is um, interesting because you always think it's something that's, well, I for a long time thought what I was witnessing was the end of grand narratives and certainly we talk about that in social science, right? The end of grand narratives. And then I look at what's happening in beliefs in society and seeing those conspiracy theories <laughs> as grand narratives that explain everything and how much of it is out there that, that humans crave that grand narrative so much. Yeah, and it's interesting that we're seeing it expressed in a, in a late capitalism sense, right? Like where there is the conspiracy deep state stuff, like people like really reaching and flexing for, for different various ways of trying to explain it all. And the interesting thing is, is that rather than there being an element of faith, it's like, well, there's people have come up with their own ways of trying to justify it with facts. I mean, the facts are questionable, but there it is. But 
like I said, I, I kind of want to move away from that sort of stuff because I think that's, for me, what I've learned is that's where a lot of the pain is. Well, you, you could have said that for such a long time about religion, right? Like it just doesn't stack up, right? Every, every religion has those um, ridiculous, silly sort of ideas and concepts that, you know, you're socialised into and then you believe and then sometimes later in life you look back and go, oh my God, that, that's just silly and ridiculous. But you can see so many people believed it. And now we're in this situation where I think, you know, with QAnon and, and all these conspiracy theories we're seeing out there where you, you look at them again and go, these are crazy, these are like they, they, they're ridiculous, but people believe them. That maybe unfortunately, like I've always had this idea that humans were fundamentally reasonable and progressive and whatever, and now I'm starting to think, well, maybe we're not. Maybe we actually need to believe this crazy bullshit that that's actually how we work. That yeah. reason and logic may be a part of us, but they're not a dominant part of us. Well, not a dominant part. And I mean, for me, the personal project is going to be a sense of grounding to try to escape from finding some ethereal up there, out there explanation for things. Yeah. Like I need an anchor. So one of the things that I've been doing as my own self-management is that I've created a grounding group and in many ways, I kind of consider this as a form of activist organising um, for one's own sense of mental health and well-being. And John, I've got you as part of that grounding group. Indeed. So I'm sort of starting to put it into action. And um, I definitely recommend it for anyone out there that kind of finds it a bit hectic and a bit stressful at times. And if they just need someone to, to bring them back to earth. That's what my grounding group's going to be. So I set it up on WhatsApp, I ping it, and then whoever's there, I get to call them and have a bit of a chat with them. Um, and then the, there's the grounding, and there's a group of us. So, yeah, thanks, John, for, for taking part of that. That's all right. I think an important aspect of that is you have to identify when you, when you want that grounding, right? So mm. it's you identifying, all right, I need it now or I would like it now, which I think is interesting. Yeah, rather than finding out like what page of uh, the Trotsky dogma or what key clutch YouTube site is going to tell me what, you know. I was just thinking then like the way this grounding is going to work is that you contact the group and all right, I want to, I want some grounding. <laughs> it's not that, you know, the grounding group's going to spring an intervention on you at, at, at any stage. That's no. <laughs> You say that with an amount of trepidation, John. <laughs> in in, well, in well, one know, month, Michael is going to introduce this break glass in case of an emergency aspect to the group. Well, well, you know, I do, I do like a good event. Uh, you know, I, I have, I do like good planning. You know, uh, is there going to be a banner, John? Well, that well, of course there would be, uh, and we would need to paint the banner beforehand. So that's where I'd start to think, do we paint the banner in, in advance for its need or does the need come and then we paint the banner? Have we got enough time to paint the banner? Yeah. Like do you, and if you prepare the banner for the intervention that isn't needed yet, are you really making that intervention real yourself and, 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 and bringing it, creating it and moving it forward? So uh, we'll, we'll probably wait for you to contact us rather than... Uh, I don't think that sounds like a very grounded idea, John. <laughs> it's probably at all so no intervention but that's kind of where i'm coming from with that sort of stuff like people looking out for people and that sort of organizational aspect i think it's it's under examined undervalued and often invisible but i, I want to try to bring light to it 
again, perhaps another intention in one of my episodes next year. So stay tuned. What I've also got old mate John in here for is to do a bit of a stock take over the things that we've discussed over the year. Two main things. One is Slapgate. Previously on... Do it in your side. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, wow. Will Smith just smacked the shit out of me. Keep my wife's name out your fucking mouth. We'll, we'll look to, to review this in... What do we agree on? It was like a year, wasn't it? The year is the last one. I think we should we should talk about it, you know... Maybe even next time we catch up, whether that's a month, with three months, six months, twelve months, and just see if is this a thing. Okay. The other is Deckgate. Previously on Thorn in Your Side. So it would be interesting to see if Scott Morrison loses and if he leaves politics, mm. where does he end up, you know? Um, mm. but of course where where we really are putting the 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 cart before the horse there, you know. I suspect it'll be the fast food sector. <laughs> so let's have a discussion of the gates john the gates gate number one what was gate number one again okay. doing this chrono- chronologically or whatever do they happen well well it's sort of because scomo is a slow moving disaster basically throughout the whole of the the year like like watching a, an avalanche as it's coming down and it's moving incredibly quickly but it looks like it's moving slowly and you know it's going to collapse in a heap at the bottom while slapgate was sort of one the, the one incident that happened that that i thought might have more meaning than maybe it does well, let's I- do slapgate first let that let's let's talk that yeah, let's do Slapgate first. But I guess what, what we kind of ended up framing it as is like we, we kind of found ourselves just watching and seeing what would kind of die in the ass first. Hey. Yeah, yeah. So Slapgate. Yeah, let's do Slapgate first. Because that, that died in the ass, didn't it? Well, it did. It did. And, and now I was incredibly wrong because I thought it might have some sort of meaning and might resonate later. And while it, its shadow is still around and Will Smith's still talking about it and Whenever you mention Chris Rocket comes up, it it really seems to be gone, and it probably we won't really talk about it in mainstream culture until well, we're talking a little bit about it at the moment because Will Smith's releasing a movie on Apple, uh, but we probably won't talk about it again until the Oscars. Yeah, my memory of when we were discussing in that episode, it seemed to be a bit of a testing spot for a return to everyday conversations where there yeah. wasn't that pretext of. Oh, we can talk freely and ordinarily, but is there still end times in the background? It kind of felt like Slapgate was a release from that. And I guess from there, it was about trying to find out whether it was a sign of things to come. I don't know. Just too many waves kept happening after that. And I caught COVID. Well, that's, yeah, me too. Because I remember, yeah, and, and we talked about this a little bit. Earlier, like the normality of or normality, right? We're returning to instead of talking about COVID, instead of talking about lockdowns, instead of talking about people losing their political rights, blah blah blah. It was look at this crazy thing that happened at the Oscars, celebrities, blah blah blah. You know that in the end, I thought might end up having some more external meaning, but seemed to have meant nothing 
you know, it was a bit of gossip. But you, I think part of it was this could be the, the, the marker of the end, uh, but in the end it was just a little break and COVID kept rolling on and we kept having to deal with it. Yeah, and everything still has a bit of a cataclysmic social change tinge to it. Just before this podcast, we found ourselves talking a bit about Elon Musk and his Twitter ownership. Uh, it kind of feels like Mr. Musk is, well, like I use the water cooler analogy. It seems like he's trying to seize the water cooler. He's trying to tell us what kind of water we're, we're going to have. I think he certainly likes being the centre of conversation, but he wants that conversation to be a certain way. It reminds me a little bit, like this is not... Do you remember when LeBron James left Cleveland and went to Miami? So he was drafted by Cleveland. That's his hometown, blah, blah, blah. He played there. And then his contract's coming up and he decided to go to Miami and it felt like a betrayal. How long ago was this skin story? Oh, this would be mid-2000s. Yeah, around there. Uh, Someone should fact check this. Hello there. Editorializing M here. As the fact check, I am happy to reveal that that trade of LeBron James from Cleveland to Miami was in 2010. Rather than re-sign with his home team that wasn't really going anywhere, he went to Miami with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh came over and it was this idea that they were like a, a super team, right? Yeah, um, I'm just going to keep nodding my head like, yes, I'm an informed basketball aficionado. Yep, but, but a lot of people were upset, not just the Cleveland fans. They burned his jersey and the owner at the time said, you know, that city's he's out sort of sort of thing. But there was also a sense of in the NBA that, that he had betrayed his hometown. And LeBron James said, that's okay. I'm prepared to embrace the role of the villain. You know, in the end, all attention is good attention. Like whether I'm your hero or your villain, I don't care. I'm prepared to embrace the role of the villain. And then as it played out, he really was uncomfortable in that role. You know, he didn't want to be there. He couldn't play that villain. And you could see that he would, you know, he was not comfortable with it. And Elon Musk seems to be that guy who loves the attention, but he wants to be the hero. And as we were talking before, I'd, I'd, I'd talked to you about, he was at Dave Chappelle's show and got up on stage and the crowd booed him. And, you know, some reports are, you know, 80% of the crowd booed. He said only 10%. But he was clearly rocked by that, you know. So for him, it's not just, I want to be the, and I think you've got the point there. Like, I don't just want to be the topic of conversation at the water cooler. I want the topic to be about me in this way. Yeah, trying to control it. You either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. He was the shit, you know, yeah. for a little while there. And then, um, then rip. Yeah, he, uh, he did Old Ben Wilson in the Scooby Doo show, where everyone kind of realized what he was really up to. Maybe there was a bit of entropy there, where okay, well this felt good. I want more of this, but I'm not really getting too much. This really isn't a, a sustaining thing. I better start kind of trying to make it for myself. Is that what's going on here, John? Look, there's, there could be many things going on here, and maybe this is something we we can you know talk about next year as well. Is this Musk Gate? Not not muskate, I think musk muskrat. Like, uh, but I think I did read something that sort of said, you know, Musk with his electronic vehicles and and stuff has really had the lefty market, and that this you know right wing heel turn on Twitter is a chance to get the right wing market and get them driving his electronic cars and mm. stuff like that. Um, that's obviously the interpretation that everything here is strategic when, you know, this may not be strategic at all. This might just be, you know, very personal. 
Or a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Yeah, true. It doesn't have Which to be is just often one. what libertarianism is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But as I said to you earlier, like the default position for all of us should be if you get a chance to boo the richest person in the world, you should boo them. Like that should be the default. They should have to do something to make you not boo them. If all they've done is make money, you just boo the fuck out of them. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with that, like with the ongoing booing. It's a, it's a pretty it's a pretty good fallback, right? Where you go, I'm not sure what to do. He's the richest person in the world. I'm going to boo. I'm gonna, it's like when a prime minister is at, at the rugby league, I'm not sure what to do. I'm going to boo. boo. It's pretty, you're pretty safe. Yeah. You're pretty safe. If that prime minister is exceptional and has just done something amazing, maybe give him a cheer, you know, like if, it, if it's a former PM like Bob Hawke and he's just sculled a beer, give him a cheer, but, you know. Otherwise, uh, just just boo them. So, John, to, to to ask you a pro wrestling question because it's Christmas, yeah, that you should have a bell that dings every episode where I'm on where pro wrestling comes up. Okay, All I'll right. try to put something on the switchboard. News resolution. Here we go. Pro wrestling. We're in the house. Let's uh, go. Um, so, um, back back when Vince McMahon was um, part of the kayfabe, and before he was confirmed as a bit of a creep. And he had a job or had a whole business, really. Now, he, he played the bad guy businessman for mm, a while, didn't yes, he? Yes, yes. Very successfully. What did he do to turn himself into a good guy periodically? Can you remember? I'm oh. not leading you. Like, this is an open question. What, what he did, I think it, often it was about betrayal of family. So if his family turned against him, I think sometimes it was about who he was opposing and whether they took the heel role. Like, I think he didn't... He didn't so much do things to, to become a babyface. Things were done to him to become a babyface. But I think I think he was pretty solidly, you know, the default position was the the evil capitalist heel. Mm. And there is a question about how much of that was an act and how much of that was just him being who he is. I mean, I think I, I like where you're going here because this is a bit, well, maybe Elon Musk is playing Vince McMahon. That's, that's the gig. And something's got to happen to him. To, to turn him into a, a, a hero, yeah. Yeah. Is it Mastodon? Is Mastodon going to happen to him? I don't know. I don't I know. I, I feel like it would need to be something else would need to happen. But, you know, when you're that wealthy and rich, I mean, you know, what can happen already? Like things are already happening to Elon Musk, I think, in his life that you could point to and go, oh, poor Elon. But um, it's hard to feel sorry for the richest man in the world. Okay. Well... Let's look at that at a later date. Yes. Um, can I call it Muskgate? Yeah, why not? Okay, we got a, we got a, we got a thing. Muskgate, and yeah, I'm gonna, I've, I think at this point I probably put a ding ding dub in there <laughs> a couple of times. So there we go. So the slap. Is there anything else we want to add? Like it, it wasn't, it wasn't the return to banal, the normality of uh, the banality of normality. It wasn't, uh, well, that sounds like a wrestling thing, the banality of normality. And it, I, I don't think it, it really created any meaning too much around violence, domestic violence, uh, violence between men. I think, you know, the, the idea of him defending his wife and, and I guess some of that, that what did rise and has floated is that idea of trauma. Mm. But, yeah, yeah, it certainly, it, it didn't live the way I thought the our culture well i've just had a sudden thought i mean like this is all about the commons right and it's like what, what we do with the commons we uh we kind of 
use it for very ordinary purposes at times, you know? Like, what was the implications of Will Smith just inadvertently slapping a dude in front of the world live? But as the year progressed and then COVID happened again, uh, it seemed to be like like richest white men suddenly trying to make a grab for the ownership of normality. And you, you kind of saw that through Zuckerberg doing a flex by trying to crank up Facebook to upgrade it to something called Meta, wherever the fuck that is. Bezos is doing his thing. He wants to blast to the moon. And here's Musk trying to get a piece of the action as well. So it just it seems to be like this ontological colonization. And I guess that's what kind of brings me back to this idea of how important it is to be grounded. Because if you kind of get lost in that, you're suddenly finding yourself getting caught up in something that's that's often a rich man's construction. Look, it, it is interesting the way these individuals are dominating ideas and concepts. And clearly they've got a lot of money and a lot of power and they can decide, right, I'm going to do this thing. And then it becomes more than that. And certainly I think when we talk about America where... You know, I think if we do get to talk later on about the difference between America and Australia, where you know, in America, wealth is is celebrated, and uh, and and people who are wealthy are seen to have done something to deserve it, and are better than other people, and 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 you know, geniuses. While you know, in Australia, we probably don't well, we don't lean in as hard on that stuff as as they do in the US. Where it's easy for us to see some of these people as as almost comic characters. I'm sure definitely parts of America see them that way. But yeah. The, and and certainly my my research into the American dream is, is suggested in our my lifetime. It's become more comfortable in America too, that there used to be a much more collective concept of the American dream and it's much more individualized. Yeah. But I think if we we do end up talking about Greg Norman, one of the interesting things in that article that you uh, asked me to read was when they talked about you know in America that someone sees a, a big expensive car and they go oh, I want one of those you know while in Australia we see a big expensive car and our impulse is to key it uh, yeah as a as a sort of difference yeah well you just derailed while I was going for the rest of this episode here, John so I'm going <laughs> to readjust um <laughs> Uh, we we're going to talk about Dakgate and then talk about Greg Norman, but let's 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 just fuck it up and smash it all together. Shall all we right. do that? Yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. All right. So Dakgate. So um, yeah, that was that's the thing that hasn't died in the ass, right? Your mate Scott Morrison. Your mate. Yeah, he stabs you in the guts and he gets off. You do ten years. Your mate. <laughs> my mate. Why is your my mate now? I just love that line from Chopper. Uh, okay. <laughs> that's, that's for me I, I, I use that line a lot right yeah my, my mate's gamo he's skulking <laughs> around parliament he's been censured which gave me about 62% closure with the stuff I experienced during lockdown all that's left is the um, enduring trauma but he won't leave He's that guy that just keeps hanging around. I think he's he's taken on a troll aspect now. If it wasn't so aware, well, that's the thing. He sort of said, "Oh, I won't leave," and now it's like, "Well, well, actually, we all want you to. I think your party wants you to. Mm. I think everyone wants you to. But you said you wouldn't, so now you're not going to do it. Because, well, let's be honest, uh, you, you're stubborn, and he is stubborn. And also, has he quite got what he wants to leave the parliament for yet? Has he quite found the next part of his life he wants to embrace? I remember 
previously we discussed where would he go, what would he do. He hasn't, maybe he hasn't found it yet. Well, he's rent-seeking parliament, isn't he? Like he's he's living off his parliamentary pension. Yes. Or, or his parliamentary and, and, salary. And, and looking like we know he's, he's already done some, we signed up for speaking for, to be a paid speaker internationally and and certainly he's attended well, a few other events already what was his what was his uh, basic topic of discussion how to do government good good governments yeah uh yeah and something something about how no one listened to him about climate change i think he was trying to frame that in a different way and but yeah good governments good leadership leadership leaders like to talk about leadership well i was a good leader it's just the problem is people weren't just listening hard enough the problem is other people. Leadership. <laughs> Scott Morrison. <laughs> it's not you, it's them. Scott Morrison, leadership. <laughs> um, yeah, I think we've just basically predicted next year. So it kind of brings me to the parallel between Scott Morrison and Greg Norman. Before we I go suppose. there, just a reminder, oh. he tried to get a job in the rugby league and it didn't work out. Oh, he wanted to be chairman, eh? Yeah, well, he wanted on the board. Yeah. They, they No room. No room for you, Scott. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, because I don't think his CV is that impressive right now. Well, I wonder what... With, with I mean, the Liberal Party have come out and said, we lost the election because Scott Morrison was unpopular. Yeah. So with with that fact, who would want him on their board if you're trying to be more popular or you're trying to, you know, if popularity is an issue for you, yeah. Uh, why would you want Scott Morrison involved? So this is a dilemma, right? And mm. this brings me to Greg Norman. Okay, good. Because we, we got there. Uh, perhaps Scott Morrison could learn a few things from the great white shark. This is interesting. Trademark. So. Um, in, in that Scott Morrison needs a trademark as well. Scomo, a great white he bulldozer. Could, he could paint and <laughs> a great white bulldozer. You get a little, little, little lapel of, of him, you know, on on your your t shirt, your polo shirt, a little like you know stitch thing of of him tackling a a ten year old kid, like that. That's the Scomo way. Yeah, it could have that. Um, it could have that. Oh, I'm trying to find a way of describing this on the podcast. You know how like Obama had that motif of him and it said change yeah. and it like looked really shadowy and, and it popped. Blue, red and white. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. You could have that on your, with ScoMo just basically tackling the shit out of a kid. Yeah. 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 ScoMo. Just, you know, bulldoze. 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 I remember that Obama poster. I had a t-shirt of Boba Fett's face done in the same color. Yeah, uh, which I thought was really witty. And one day I was at Bondi, and James Packer was there, and he saw it, and he he laughed. He thought it was good. Oh, you got a rise out of James, James Packer, Packer for that. James Packer was like, it ran, ran past. It was in his fitness phase. He ran past, and he saw it, and he he had a giggle and kept okay. running. You know, wow, yeah. that was very random. Yeah, yeah well, likes a Boba Fett joke. Okay, a well, Boba Fett and an Obama joke is pretty good. So Scomo bulldozer. Now he's he's his future career. Talking a bit about that. Yeah, yeah, and this is where um the, the Greg Norman could provide him some insight. Ah, Greg Norman, sorry, that's where we were going. Yeah. Grey White Shark. Grey Trademark. White so Greg Norman, I think, like in the nineties and two thousands, like he was he was unassailable. Like he was seen as a new Bradman. And I think that was done through the context of what often happened in the nineties and noughties, where that was often a 
corporate construct rather than something that was informed by any public recognition. You really must understand, winning is a state of mind. I made no secret of it. I really enjoy things that are state of the art. I demand a world-class car. That's why I always come home to a statesman. New Holden Statesman Series 3. So in that sense, you could kind of equate Greg Norman to the Australian Michael Jordan of the time. And he, he definitely did his utmost to create an image. Like he was, his big sponsor was Reebok. Back in the day, wasn't it? Was it Reebok? I'm not sure. I know. Because I can remember, like, sorry to cut in, but I can just remember his black hat and he's got, like, everyone called him Great White Shark. And I was like, well, I could turn that into a sports brand, couldn't I? Well, that's the thing. When I when I think of Greg Norman, I think of, of sporting logos. I think of his logo. I think of Greg Norman as the brand. Mm. So I think even if it if it was, he was sponsored by Reebok, a little bit like Michael Jordan, it, it then became not... Nike, but Jordans, it, it became very much not Reebok, but Greg Norman. Mm. I think the oh. important aspect with Greg Norman too yeah. is he comes after the America's Cup. And I think the America's Cup as a sporting event for Australia was very important. You know, it's Australia on the world stage, you know, winning, uh, you know, this, this cup that no one else had won but America for such a long time. Like it felt like we were big boys. <laughs> I tell you what, any boss who sacks anyone for not turning up the day is a bum. Meanwhile, the historic accord was reached between the government and the labour movement. In 1983, we, for the first time ever in our history as a union in Australia, realised our capacity to participate in the government of Australia because we were finally given an opportunity. One eternity later. Sally McManus, welcome to the program. Great to be here. You were 12 when that summit was on. Were you watching politics back then? I was not watching politics back then. All right, well, fast forward to now. One of the big ideas that you're bringing to this summit is a reform of collective bargaining to increase wages for low-paid workers, especially for women. How do you see that working? Well, we've got to accept, first of all, that part of the reason, well, the main reason why wages have collapsed is because collective bargaining's collapsed. And now... Realise our capacity to participate in the government of Australia. And then he comes in the wake of that and feels the same sort of way. Like, he's an Australian guy who is the best golfer in the world, who is out there battling. And, and like like the World Cup a bit, they, they, he, he sort of had... Um, Cup, I should say, he had two contradictory things. I think he he's a, a, a natural sports person, like, you know, very, very athletic, very, very talented. But also because he had that reputation of, of choking and, and losing tournaments right at the, the last stage, a little bit of a, a battler aspect, but... Well, there's a little bit of dovetailing there with your um, America's Cup analogy, wasn't it? Because, like, he won the British Open, but his holy grail seemed to be winning the Masters. Yeah. So doing... The Australian conquering the American thing again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It very never much. came full circle, did it? And I remember when I think of him too. I remember, you know, so 1984. I'm older than you. Uh, you know, I remember seeing the America's Cup, not understanding what it was, but knowing you had to get up early to watch it. Mm. And I remember my dad getting up early to watch Greg, Greg Norman in the Masters as well. Like it was, it was something that Australians got up at, you know, four in the morning, three in the morning, uh, to watch. Know, to be part of him him attempting to win, I think, the Masters or whatever it was. I know he didn't win it. 
when we watched it, but I know it, it felt like a national event. There is something about losing that people remember to that, that not necessarily builds character, but builds myth and mystique. And maybe part of Greg Norman's mystique is, is those losses. Mm. This was a big thing. We were a small nation, but a proud nation. And, you know, sport is what we did. And, you know, there's some sports that we'd been doing for ages, like cricket and beating England and whatever. And, yeah, that's the thing. But then yeah. there's these other broad worldwide sports, which it isn't just where we're playing, you know, um, England. Like like tennis and like golf and like sailing where we're playing the whole world where if you win or you get to the top, like it it, it this is this is something else. Yeah. And personified in, in, you know, I guess the America's Cup was a Australia two as a team. And that brings me back to Scott Morrison. So Ooh. there was that idea of the they seem to sell this idea of a, a modern update of the Australian legend done through copious amounts of construction and feeding into that idea of being a little bit of an underdog as well because that's basically how ScoMo became Prime Minister, right? Like he was an underdog and it was just but for the grace of God that he got elected. Like he literally thanked God for being elected. So there's that. Now, I go back to what I was referring to earlier in the episode where Scott Morrison could learn the lessons of Greg Norman where I now go to what happened after the noughties, where people started to realise that Greg Norman was a bit of a dickhead. And this is, um, this is where I, I refer to this article that came up uh, in the Sydney Morning Herald, which was, it felt a bit of an expose vibe about it. It felt naughty to me because it was talking about the stuff that you couldn't talk about in the 90s and the noughties because Greg Norman was like the Australian legend, renewed. And there was a bit of a Bradman-esque vibe about it as well because there was stuff that you couldn't question what he was doing because he was a world beater, right? And he was just like this strong as oak, flaxen-haired, blue-eyed, kick your ass, hit you over the head with a shark, great white shark dude, you know? But that all kind of unraveled. I think it's because he wasn't playing golf so much and he didn't end up winning the Masters, but I think that's when his business interests started to come to the fore a bit. And that's kind of where you kind of saw the shadow a bit. So I think that kind of parallels where Scott Morrison's going, where he might need to become a bit more entrepreneurial. But we talked about in previous episodes, or the, the decade episode namely, where ScoMo was creating the persona. Now, I would argue that Greg Norman, when he started doing his entrepreneurialism, writ large, that his persona gradually withered away to the point where a journalist got enough Dutch courage to write that article, publicly declare him as a dickhead. Now, what do you reckon about ScoMo? Is he going to have to pursue this entrepreneurial path that challenges this persona? Although I think basically, like, the public has already done that for him. I think one of the things that was really interesting about Sean Kelly's book about Scott Morrison was this idea that we have about politics and, and maybe about sports people as well, that there's the performance and then behind the performance there's the real person. And, you know, Sean Kelly I think was talking about political autobiographies, that, that's what we expect to read, right? That there's, there's Margaret Thatcher the person, but we read an autobiography to find out actually, well, who was she really? You know, how was she to her kids or whatever, you know, blah, 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 right? Um, so with Scott Morrison, he's starting to say, look, Scott Morrison creates this persona, but actually 
behind the persona, there might be nothing. Like the persona is the man sort of thing. Mm. So, which is a bit as I think, you know, I, I talked about in psychology, you know, with this idea that there's a core identity and then our identities are fractured and we create them. Mm. So the article about Greg Norman was interesting because the first part indicates that there is this real Greg Norman that was hidden behind this persona of Greg Norman, the, the golfer. And he's a dickhead. Uh, well, well, the first part is, you know, the, 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 uh, one of the journalists talks about, you know, wanting to interview him and Greg swearing at him and being an arsehole and whatever, and then the moment the cameras come on, he's sweet and wonderful and the Greg Norman we all know. Yeah. But then there's this idea that what's coming through and what be, has been – so this is where I'd, I think there's been a lot of things said about Greg Norman over the last sort of 10 or so years that, that have, have indicated that that maybe suggests something, certainly in regards to the money – that might suggest a bit of shallowness. You know, the friendship with Trump, you know, obviously prepared to, to work with uh, whoever for money seems to be something that's uh, on there. The affair with Chris Evert and, you know, the fact that, that that marriage only lasted a year and busted up a fame. Like these are some of the things that the article talks about. Mm. But at the same time also too, this idea of Greg Norman created this brand, like he became a brand. Uh, and very much, you know, talks about that he's the most successful athlete slash business person. So it's well, he talks about that about himself. Well, yeah, he? yeah, and he he clearly thinks he's very good. You know, he did talk about, I think, or it was referenced about he left Australia to the US because that suited him and that US mentality, American mentality, suited him better than the Australian one. And you know, the tall poppy syndrome and, you know, that he wasn't as appreciated and loved in Australia as he, as he should be. Mm. So it, 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 it's interesting from that perspective. And I wonder in regards to that creation of this identity, because if you were trying to, like, put Sean Kelly's idea onto this, you would sort of go, well, Greg Norman created this, this identity, the Greg Norman, the golfer, and that that has become the real Greg Norman. But, I mean, there's other things there that I think you were talking about earlier when you were showing me the article about, you know, relationships to his father and stuff. I don't, I don't know what Scott Morrison, because I don't know where Scott Morrison's going to go now. And I don't know. He, like, he clearly has an ego that's Greg Norman-esque. <laughs> he obviously thinks he's very good, thinks he's been hard done by. But how's that going to play out now? Because I think part of the thing about Greg Norman is Greg Norman is a very, very good golfer. And he had a lot going for him. I don't know if Scott Morrison's got the same sort of thing going on that he can leverage the way Greg Norman did. Well, Greg Norman's kind of been exposed. Like, I keep saying dickhead a lot. So there's there's a prowess that Greg Norman can leverage, but there's also the fact that it seems like he's kind of reconciled it with people starting to get to know him truly. There's a thing with narcissists that we like to think that deep down inside the narcissist actually doesn't have that confidence and self-doubts and this is all a performance to puff themselves up. Mm. And then there's a lot of research that actually suggests, no, narcissists literally think that they're the best and they're having great lives. Mm. Greg Norman looks like he's happy and he's having – it looks like he is sometimes driven by, you know, a bit of I didn't get enough respect and I want more money. And there was, I think, one someone in the article said, you know, mm. Greg's going to just keep trying to get more and more money it's never going to be enough but he seems to be quite comfortable with himself yeah and i think there's also an aspect now as well with um and i guess it's it feeds back to the whole tall poppy sentiment but i think it's become a bit more based now where it's just like fuck them i'm getting saudi dollars yeah fuck them see i would say i don't even think the, the fuck them is there like just you know i'm greg norman i'm fantastic of course they want to give me money 
Oh, I'm in a jet. Oh, yeah, I suppose. But there's hubris there, right? And that, in order for there to be hubris, that requires some semblance of humanity, no matter how flawed it is. ScoMo in comparison, is there that element or is there going to be this endless spiral of persona reinvention, 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 but with the reinventions, there's going to be an entropic element to it where it just becomes more and more flimsier where it could get to the point where it's like a, a, a like a six inch eye wicker man made out of paddle pop sticks what do you reckon it is interesting because the persona i think the idea in short kelly sort of showed that his persona changed over time but i think he's well my idea was for scoma there was no dissidence to that change so, you know, a person I am today that I need to be, and in my mind that's consistent with the person I was yesterday. So I think we are going to see changes. There's certain things that were front of house with his persona become less and less purposeful and useful. Certainly, you know, we could see when it looked like his ticket out of politics was going to be to join the uh, NRL board, right? I imagine if that had happened, he probably would have left parliament. Mm. That didn't happen. So what part will rugby league play in his life now? Because as Sean Kelly pointed out, he didn't play a part in his life until he became the member there in, in Cronulla and then Cronulla became his team and he became all about it. Now it's clear he's not going to remain that a member there for a long period of time. Like he's clearly going to move on. Will that rugby league team, the Cronulla Sharks, still still have meaning to him? Will he still be their number one ticket holder Will he still be going to games or is that part going to fade? Or is that a part of his persona that he actually quite enjoys and, and he will keep around? Yeah, we speculated upon this at the end of Dakgate. Like I said, I don't think this has died in the arse. I reckon we, we continue to review this, John. And if there is some semblance of, of attempt to reify his image or to reinvent himself... Because I reckon my money's on him just recycling a persona. It could happen as early as next year. Yeah, look, I, I think we saw a couple of steps out trying to play up different parts of the persona. So we saw the, the rugby league one, mm. trying to join the NRL board and, and get a role in there. Mm. We saw a couple of speeches to uh, churches, mm. you know, which maybe reframed him from a religious perspective. Remember, we went in there and said, trust in God, don't trust in government. Um, he tried to join the global speaking circuit. Yeah, that that it's going to be, he obviously has joined that on some level. How successful is that going to be? Is he going to now become a, you know, a speaker like, Someone like Obama, you know, who I think is coming out next year and it's, you know, thousands of dollars to, to go see him. Mm. It is interesting, right, because this is where I sort of see a bit of a difference between him and, and Greg Norman. Like, I could see Greg Norman might have played a certain role in the media, and but I don't think Greg Norman really... Like, he developed this brand as Greg Norman, the the brand, and, you know, selling his, his sporting web clothes and, and, and everything... But once he developed that and created that, it didn't change much. And and maybe it's never needed to. Like Greg Norman has found great success in being Greg Norman. Mm. Uh, ScoMo found some success in being ScoMo. That success is now gone. Like it, we are definitely, we can, we can, the Liberal Party has just said, we lost because of this guy. So Scott Morrison needs to, to shift in some way. So I think you're right. Like I think there will be another element to the persona. There will be another you know, Scott Morrison post-PM years. 
and it will be different. And yeah, I don't know. I think I think we will be talking about it next year. I think you're right. I think there will be a development. There will be something. Okay. Well, let's track this and let's see what other form he shall take. That's <laughs> his final form. His um, final form. No, 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 no. That's no. that's well. That's the. <laughs> this goes on a. This goes on an insane, unedifying loop. Well, often cycle, I, and I know this for. Parker at the moment is obsessed with Godzilla. And I don't know if you know about the the most recent or the most recent live action Japanese one was Shin Godzilla. And uh, no. Okay, well just basically I know the I know they in America the American version they've got him teaming up with King Kong now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so one of the things that that's come through in the Japanese version is the idea of the evolution of Godzilla. Okay. So in Shin Godzilla, we meet Godzilla and he doesn't look like Godzilla. Like he basically um, evolves and grows and turns into Godzilla. And this has become now part of the Godzilla mythos. So the, the most recent anime series, which is called uh, Singular Point, Godzilla Singular Point, Godzilla basically starts off almost like a, a fish sort of dragon thing and then slowly over time, you know, turns into the big Godzilla that we all uh, know. So he has different forms and his final form is the Godzilla we know. I think the thing with Greg Norman, right, Greg Norman found his final form very quickly, right? Greg Norman, the the brand, the sports brand that, you know, is is pretty morality, all that stuff doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's you know, it, it's, a, it's a very capitalistic sort of thing. Mm. Well, Scott Morrison, I feel like there, you're right. There is no final form. This guy is going to morph and change and as needed. So he's going to become a Shin ScoMo if I'm following this correctly? Yeah, yeah. Well, the, 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 see, Shin Godzilla eventually ends. You eventually get the final Godzilla. But Ah, oh, so that's like Super Saiyan Godzilla. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. He, he finally ends, right? There's a one evolution, right? The, the, you finally get to the final evolution. So it's going from the fish to, you know, the lizard to the final big Godzilla. Yeah. With, with Scott Morrison, though, there's a feel that there is no final form. Like, he'll be who he needs to be in the moment. But at the yeah. same time, he has this issue of stubbornness, which is a, is a break on that, you know? He needed to change for the election, and he told us he could change... At the same time, you're saying I'm a bit of a bulldozer. He was trying to to position himself for a move, but it got it got too awkward. He couldn't he couldn't find the next form. He couldn't find a form that we wanted that we were prepared to vote for. I, I wonder if anyone will ever. And I've got Nikki Sava's book Bulldozer, which I bought recently, which I'm looking forward to reading over my break because I, I quite like how Nikki Sava writes. But I do wonder if there's going to be a point where Scott Morrison is going to honestly tell us why he thinks he lost. I think he's talked a lot about what people have done to him and what's happened to him. Yeah. I think the explanations will continue to be externalised ones. Because he certainly feels like someone who, who's, you know, when they say, I take responsibility, that actually means I take no responsibility. Nah. I didn't do it. It the was everyone else. It. But I will say I take responsibility. Yeah. But I wonder if, you know, he does reflected whether that reflection is I didn't change enough I didn't become what the people needed I mean he talks in a way of like because he chose to justify his own popularity 
on the basis I became what we needed. Like we needed a strong leader during COVID and I became that strong leader. And, you know, because of that, I'm, I suffered and yeah. I lost, but I had to do it. And it was in the, the interest of, you of, need men like me on the wall. That's the, yeah, 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 yeah. And I mean, obviously I think he paints white things in ways that are psychologically pleasing for him. And I think this is, so this is where it's interesting. Like Sean, Sean Kelly did say that, right? Like the, the, this, this is a guy who will become who, who he needs to be. And the persona is the man. There is nothing. There's no hidden puppeteer behind. He is the puppet. Mm. But at the same time, I can see that, you know, there were lots of breaks. He wasn't actually able to, to, to adjust and become what we needed to do. He wasn't able to, to morph into, uh, into something else. Like it actually, the, the clay got hard. And, and that's the bastard willingness element to it yeah, of it all. Yeah. I have neither the time nor the inclination to explain myself to a man who rises and sleeps under the blanket of the very freedom that I provide and then questions the manner in which I provide it. You want answers. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. So let's monitor this, John. And when he takes on another Gaiju form, we will be right on it. Look, I think I think your listeners will be very glad to hear that 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 we haven't finished with Scott Morrison. That that his story hasn't ended, and and we'll be following it intently. Uh, I'm sure they they are they are keen keen for more Scott. Yep, let's keep chasing this digger. So, just looking forward to the new year, John. Like we still got like a few ideas and whatnot. So I guess what's what's really hot in my mind is that like we're going to try to connect with Fred and Carlo in the near future. We can talk about the sports codes, like try and fit that in before the NRL season starts, which will be an interesting dovetail because that's exactly when the A-League season finishes. So there's a good convergence point there. And we're going to try to chase that pro wrestling mob. And yeah, was there anything else that I left out, John, or is that it? Look, that's that's a lot there. I think uh, I think you've covered it. I wonder, are you guys going to talk about the World Cup at the end when it's all over? Uh, World Cup wrap up. Uh. It isn't even over yet. How many? There's, there's still what semi-finals and finals. Uh, let's at, at let's not talk about the World Cup, John. I wanted to try to make this episode at least have some sort of resonance of being topical. <laughs> Fair enough. Because it kind of it kind of got a bit uh, askew um, because I kept. Uh, having to push it back again i'm sorry jason um yeah yeah i reckon just like put it put a pin we can talk about the world cup like when we talk about the footy codes because like each of the codes have their own world cup anyway we can kind of compare world cuppiness yeah look i'm i'm one of the things i'm i'd be keen to bring to that is you know i've got a three-year-old uh kid you know starting to show interest in sport I uh, I struggle to imagine allowing him to play rugby league now. Mm. Even though I played a little bit of rugby league as a as a kid and enjoyed it, I can't see myself doing that. Like I'm not a soccer fan, not a big football fan, never have been. I try. I've watched a bit of World Cup and enjoyed it, but you know, if I'm in the backyard with him, I'm I'm really encouraging him to kick a, a soccer ball around. Mm. I think I'd much rather him play that than play some of the sports I played as a kid. Okay, well, uh, whenever we have our footy code discussion, um, we can frame it as, what sport will Parker play? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, 
Yeah, he doesn't like basketball. I've tried. Ah. Oh. I watch too much of it and it gets in the way of Godzilla. Uh, so, <laughs> not so popular. Okay. Well, it's gotten caught in the Gaiju Nexus. Okay. Well, that, that's that's what serves us for the footy code discussion. But otherwise, John, um, I think that might this might be my last podcasting episode for the year because I am just knackered. And I think from here, a little bit of time of reflection, as I kind of suggested at the start of this episode. Um, but to you, John, um, have a very safe and festive and reflective and peaceful end of year and we'll see what the fuck scomo gets up to next year yeah yeah let's uh let's hope let's hope for scomo excitement and uh yeah michael definitely the same for you enjoy i think it's it's been not only a tough year it's been a tough few years for so many people you know hopefully we can get a good break over the new year and and hopefully um hope for a better year next year Yep. Well, definitely this podcast will be around to, to, to continue documenting as much of it as I can. Thanks, everyone. So long for this year and see you next year. See ya.